Well, good morning. So humbled and excited to be with you again this morning. What a powerful time we had of worship. Thank you, worship team, for that. And uh, shout out also to all the women who went to the women's conference this past weekend. I heard it was fantastic. I think they're here. Um, so praise God for that. Uh, my name is Eli. For those of you who don't know me, I, I get to serve as the student pastor here and young adult pastor for uh, Calvary Baptist Church. And I'm excited to bring God's word to you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 8. We'll be in verses 31 through 36. We've been in a series called Come and See. We've been talking about coming and seeing all that God has done, what he's doing, what we continue to see him do. And we can be expectant of God to continue to work through his church Specifically, we saw how he's making things new. We've seen how he works in the background, right, in the ordinary. We've seen how he's the lights. Last week, Brother JV, Pastor JV brought a powerful message about seeing the unbelief, seeing people's unbelief and how uh, Jesus called out, you know, specific people and how we were kind of categorizing either the, those who believe and those who don't believe and the importance of that. Uh, but this morning I've been tasked, I've been assigned to talk about the truth. We're invited to come see the truth. And what is truth to begin with, I think is a fair question. I, is it even important, right? Does it even matter? Especially in a time like today where truth seems to be so relative, it's all up to you. You can maybe create your own truth or you know, maybe you think that truth doesn't even exist, that there's no such thing as truth. And some believe you can make your own truth and that that's your truth, not my truth, and all this. And, and the question is, does it even matter, right? The discussions that we're asking about truth. And I would say that the fact that we ask the question, why is truth important, already assumes that truth is important. The fact that we argue about truth in itself proves that truth is important, that it exists, that there is something that we all submit to. I, I, I would like to submit to you that every day, we make decisions based off of what we think are true. For example, you wake up in the morning and, and you brush your teeth. Why do you do that, right? Probably because somebody told you one day your breath really stinks. You should really brush your teeth in the morning, right? Or some dentist said, hey, man, there's some holes in your teeth. Are you taking care of these teeth? Some of you go to work after that, right? Why do you go to work? What's like, who told you to do that? Somebody said, well, you need to provide for your family, for your home. And then somebody says you need to take care of your body, so what do you do? You exercise, right? But we all do things because somebody else told us that that's what we should do. So there in itself, we're already admitting that we submit to a truth in our everyday lives based off what someone else said, based off of evidence that, like stinky breath, right, and needs, right, and, and physical health, that our doctor says about us that we need to do, all of that is based in something and we choose to believe and submit to that. Every decision we make is based off of things that we believe is true. However, I truly believe that there is a different truth, an ultimate truth that has much more weight and impact on eternity. What is truth? Well, Webster says that it is that which has fidelity to the original. In other words, it is the same as or equal to the original. And Jesus claiming to be the truth is what got him in trouble in the first place, right? He's 
been making a lot of claims in the first seven chapters that we've read so far in this series. And we're seeing how Jesus is making some bold claims about himself that are upsetting Pharisees, that are upsetting people because they're claims that would discredit what they have grown up believing. There are different types of claims like a subjective claim. A subjective claim is something that is rooted or based off emotions and feelings. Like if I were to say that the Dallas Cowboys were the greatest team, even though I think it's objective. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are the greatest team to ever play in the game of football. That would be my own personal preference, even though I still say we have five championship rings. But that's not enough to suffice for a lot of people, and I understand that. They'll get there. But an objective truth is something that is based off of not our feelings or emotions. It's true regardless of how we feel. Facts, objective, right? Black and white. Even more important though, we see multiple times in scripture that Jesus claims a specific type of truth, that he is indeed the truth and is the only way to the Father. And that within itself is where many issues start to rise in our culture today. You see, most people have no issue saying that there's objective truth in science, that there's objective truth in history, that we can have records and dates, that there's objective truth in math. But when it comes to the spiritual reality of our lives, all of a sudden, things start to get a little muddy. Things start to change. And people say, oh, you, you can't say that your religion or your belief is true, right? They change the rules, but I don't think they should. Because we as believers follow a certain way because we know and believe that what we have read and experienced and have heard from the words of Jesus are in fact true. The playing field is the same because Jesus makes a claim about our reality that is in fact true. And my goal is that by the end of, of today that we would see him as the truth that would lead to an understanding that would hopefully push us towards discipleship and following him. In fact, as we read in John chapter 8, we see Jesus continuing his tour of creating controversy, claiming to be someone that was one with the Father, right? There's, there's a story about a woman who was caught in adultery. Then Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world. He was even willing to go as far as call out the Pharisees by stating that they themselves do not know the Father because if they knew the Father, then they would know who he was. And then we read in verse 30 that many people that were there listening to Jesus started to believe in the things that he was saying. And that is where we pick up in verse 31. It says this, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word... You really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Will you pray with me as we dive into his word? Father, we thank you for this morning. 
We ask right now, Jesus, that your spirit would be present, that as we dive into your word, that it would reveal the things that we need to see, Father, that we would reveal your, it would reveal your glory, it would reveal the importance of who you are, and that it would transform us, Jesus, as we dive into the living and breathing word of God that is still relevant to this day and will be forevermore. We put this all in your name. Amen. Now, I know that whenever I'm asked to, to, to speak, I usually talk about my marriage. And that's just because it's one of the easiest things to talk about. Because I've only been married for a year. And if you know anything about marriage, as I've said before, you grow so much in marriage. You grow a lot in your marriage. And I think in just one year, I've, I would like to say that I've grown a lot, or at least I've learned a lot. And recently... We've been invited, my wife and I, to be a part of, of an upcoming wedding. One of our best friends is getting married, uh, and we're excited for them. But it also led us to remind ourselves of when we weren't married and when we first started dating. And I remember everything that I did when we first started dating, because everything that I did, every date that I planned, every gift that I bought, every message that I texted, all of it was to prove to her that I was amazing, that I was the one that she should Mary, that I was the one that God called to be her husband, that it would be insane to marry anyone else but me. That's what I set up. I treated her like royalty. But as we got married and have been married, things have been exposed and things start to change. And it so happens that I don't buy flowers every time I come home. I don't send cute messages in fact, I say messages like, where did you put my keys, right? Those are, the, those are the new messages that I now send. And, and, you know, in all seriousness, there are ways that I used to love my wife when we dated that I don't do as good of a job today as when we're married. And it's only been a year, right? And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's hard for me to do the things that I used to do for my wife just because, you know, as we've gone and grown together in life, it just becomes easy to forget. But, but here's the reality is that those ways that I've loved her created a standard for her of the way that she expected to be loved. And now that I'm not doing that, in some ways it's, it's hurt her, right? And she's hurt me in different ways as well. And, and now she's telling me, hey, you know, I'll be honest with you. Can I, just, can I just tell you the truth? The truth is, is that I'm hurt that you don't love me the way you used to love me. That the way you, you promised you would love me at the altar has been kind of lacking. <laughs> I say, well, what do you mean? Right? He says, well, and then here comes the list that I can't, I won't finish if I start. I'm kidding, man. I, my wife is amazing. I'm, I'm being careful because she's here this morning. So <laughs> she wasn't here at 930, so I could say a lot more. But, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that I can decide to do something with that truth. When she tells me, honey, you know, this is how I feel loved. And I'm hurt that you haven't done this. this. This is just my true feelings. I can either decide to say, okay, I've heard this truth and I love my wife. We're still married. Not, you know, we're going to be married, but I want to love my wife well. So I can take the truth that she's given me and decide to work towards things that will help me to love her better for the benefit of my relationship, of our relationship. Right? Or I could say, no, we're married. That's it. Like, you can't leave. Right? Like... But that would be selfish. That wouldn't resemble the love that God has called me to, to love for my wife. 
And I think that it's very important that in every relationship, whether it's marriage, friendship, siblings, family, that there would be a space where you can be safe. And but what I mean by safe is that there's a place where you can be honest to share truth to one another to where it would enable you to focus and say, okay, so this is how you really feel. This, the truth of the matter is, is that I'm hurting you in this way. I want to receive that because I love you and I want to address that. And I think that Jesus is, is doing that right here when he, when he sees people that start to believe in him. I see that he's in a sense kind of challenging them to a bigger and bolder truth. He's challenging them to come and see true discipleship. To come and see true discipleship. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Many people believe in Jesus. Many people love the idea of eternity in him. Many people love the idea, idea of him healing and all that good stuff. But Jesus is so much more than just, you know, a make-a-wish, right? Someone that's going to just please you. Jesus is someone that provides so much more than your happiness. You cannot just believe, but you must take the next step in choosing to follow. And these, this is what Jesus is asking of them. He's saying, hey, yeah, great. You believe what I'm saying, and I've offered you something that's great, but I'm asking you to be a part of all your life, not just some of it. I'm asking you, right, to follow me. And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. What does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus? Is it solely to receive him and be happy that he has redeemed us? Or is there something more? There's a book uh, uh, by the title of Wandering Toward God that I've been reading recently. And, and I'll be honest, it's because I've been kind of bombarded by this idea of deconstruction and deconstructing faith. And there are people that are deconstructing faith. And all that means is that they are starting to dig in to their faith and they're starting to see and ask questions about certain things. And so I was curious and I, I, I bought this book and I started reading it and, and in the very beginning, there's some great distinctions between faith and belief and truth. And I love what, what Travis Dickinson, who is the author, wrote about Jesus' ministry and his expectations for his followers. He says this, he says, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, he wasn't so much interested in mere intellectual commitments as he was in commitments of trust. It's not as if all we must do is intellectually believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and then we'll have eternal life. We can intellectually believe something and it makes no difference in our life. Beliefs are important, but Jesus was all about believing something that would change our life and would be rooted in commitments. Jesus wants everything. And for this step, it requires faith. In other words, it requires a moment of trust in action. He's asking these people, will you follow me? Will you leave everything behind that you thought you believed and knew intellectually and follow me and trust me that I will guide you to where you are needing to be, right? You think of a bungee cord. I will never go bungee jumping in my life. I don't know how people do it, but but I'm sure that there are people that are hesitant the first time they go. I mean, they've seen it time and time again. The bungee cord will go, it'll come back up, and now it's their turn. And maybe they're willing to strap up the bungee cord and say, yeah, I, I really think, I believe that 
that this bungee cord will sustain me. Okay, well then fall. Now that takes faith. That takes a moment, a second step of trusting that that bungee cord will sustain or bring them back to life. And here's the sad part, right? If we were to relate this, relate this to today's world, there are many people who are jumping off the cliff claiming that the bungee cord that they're using is a truth that will sustain them. But according to God's scripture, there's only one truth that will sustain them, and that's Jesus. And many people are jumping off the cliff, and ultimately that cliff will lead to death unless they're rooted in something as strong as Jesus and rooted in something that truth, a truth that is stronger than any truth that they could imagine or think of. So how do you create a moment of trust and action, simple, by abiding in it, which also means to abide in Jesus, right? Jesus declared that he was the word and the word became flesh, which is him. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this is how you take the second step of faith. You continue to pursue me, you continue to know me by reading the word. And as you read the word, more and more of the truth will be revealed. And the more we can understand the love that he has for us and the plans that he has for us. You choose to follow him. You deny yourself and pick up your cross and you walk wherever Jesus walks, trusting that it will be for his glory and for your good. Following Jesus is not a guarantee of happiness all the times and that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not just the good stuff, but it's the difficult moments. It's following in the midst of those difficult times. And I don't want to say there are bad times, they're just difficult times. And I believe that Jesus is so much worth, is worth so much more than just a momentary emotion of happiness that flees. Because I trust that Jesus ultimately brings ultimate joy in life that's everlasting. And as you engage in true discipleship, you will come and see true truth. You will come and see true truth. Verse 32 says this. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So remember, if the word became flesh and the word was God and is God, meaning that Jesus is speaking, right? Then that means that whatever he's saying, the words that he's speaking are words of truth, which means that Jesus is the true truth. In other words, Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Truth is a person. There is no truth outside of Jesus. He is the standard of truth. He is the creator of truth. There's no way that someone could claim to have the truth unless Jesus, who is the truth, the embodiment of what truth is, puts it there. Jesus is the ultimate truth and he is the standard of truth because he is the one that created the truth. The very idea or concept of truth and knowledge comes from a God whose mind is so much greater than we could ever think of. So what makes us think that we can come up with our own versions of truth? No, we listen to the true truth that is Jesus himself. But here's the reality, is that in order for there to be truth, there must also be an existence of lies. And we see the, the contrast between Jesus and the enemy, Jesus being the embodiment of truth, but scripture tells us that Satan is the father of lies. Black and white, light and darkness, night and day. And according to the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the first lie that was ever told in the history of humanity. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made and said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit 
of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And in that moment, so quickly, the first lie ever committed is now planted as a seed in the heart of Eve and in her mind. In the first moment of temptation, with an idea that there is more to life than being under the rule of a holy God. That you could have the same control as God. In essence, becoming God yourself. And here's the sad part is that she decided to believe the lie. But let me tell you something. The truth doesn't change. The truth never changes. Jesus remains the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. What changes is what we decide to believe. We decide to believe in the lie or we decide to believe in the truth. God is still sovereign, but Eve chose to believe the lie, something other than the truth. And we see the same result in this chapter of those that chose to believe and rely on their own ideas and control. Instead of Jesus, the Pharisees decided not to believe in Jesus. And what are the fruits of those who do not believe? The fruit of their life is sin. The fruit of their life is being slaves to the things that are not of God. All the teaching that Jesus is saying is not being written on their hearts. In fact, they're following a different father, following a different God. They don't know who he is. And here is the reality, is that the truth hurts. The truth can not be fun sometimes. A lot of the times, honestly. Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth because we know that it will expose areas in our lives that we need improvement on. It exposes the area in our lives that we don't want to talk about, that we don't like to talk about. And that is why truth is all the more important. Because it isn't until light that is shed on the areas of weakness that we can see that we need help and run to the place, or in this case, a person who can cure it. Truth is painful. And it, while it can be painful, it will lead to true freedom. True freedom. God invites us to come and see true freedom that is rooted in him. Verses 33 to 36 says this. We are descendants of Abraham, is how they responded. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded truly. And again, when Jesus says truly, He's already setting the standard of like, hey, you don't know anything. I know it all. I hold the truth. Truly, I tell you. Only Jesus can say truly, I tell you. Truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not remain in the household forever. You are not a part of the kingdom if you are a slave to sin, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, then you really will be free. This is what Jesus is trying to tell them. He's even come to tell them that, hey, I want to free you. I'm telling you that I am everything that you think you know. And if you come to me, I will give you true freedom. The reaction of the religious leaders, though, weren't, wasn't like, oh, that's awesome. Tell me more about how I can abide and trust in your word. No, instead they reacted like, no, we're good. We're okay. We don't need this. We don't need you. We know our truth, right, already trying to create a truth within themselves. No, we have our own truth. And to think that this statement, right, of we've never been enslaved, yet if you look at history, they've been enslaved by 
Egypt, the Philistines, they've been under Babylon, Persia, Syria, and in this current setting, Rome. Yet many Jewish people of that time had a strong sense of their own independence. But here's the thing, Jesus wasn't specifically speaking about a certain type of slavery. He was speaking specifically about their bondage to sin, their bondage to their brokenness. Slavery to sin is the worst kind of slavery because there's no escape from ourself. A son must set us free and the son of God sets us free and brings us into the household of God. That's how it works. But Jesus also wasn't just talking about a specific freedom that they thought they had. He was talking about a freedom that is rooted in him. A freedom that is a reflection of becoming independent of ourselves by becoming dependent on him. You see, up until this point, Pharisees and Jewish believers depended on themselves for freedom. They chose to believe the lie, just like Adam and Eve, that they could do it. That they didn't need anything because they have control. But this simply just isn't the case because the more control that they have, the more that they fall into their sin and the more broken they become. Hence, never being freed because they are enslaved by sin. But the good news is that if we are set free from, from our slavery to sin, set free by a son, and set free by abiding in Jesus' word and becoming his disciple, then we are free indeed, having a true freedom that contrasts the freedom the Pharisees blindly claimed in John chapter 8, 33. And when we are free, we're then free to walk and follow Jesus. We are free to bear fruit for his glory. Right? They truly believe they will abide in his teaching and bear fruit. They will be free from their sin, no longer slaves to sin. They can be free to follow Jesus and live a life of abundance that, that he will later talk about in John chapter 10. See, the concept of freedom is more than the concept that the Pharisees had. That the best type of freedom is to be under him and his control. So be clear, freedom does not consist in the word freedom or in words, but in relationship to Jesus Christ through abiding in his word and being his disciple. That is true freedom. This concept of freedom that we think we can do whatever we want and that's the type of freedom we want. No, the type of freedom that we need, not once, the type of freedom that we need is one that is under a holy and righteous Jesus Christ that loves us. Where he says, I will give you the freedom that you need, the parameters of freedom that you need because I love you and I wanna protect you. The type of freedom that you need is me. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus, so much more than a philosophical truth, so much more than an objective truth. It is a truth that surpasses all understanding and is rooted in the love of Christ. We've been in a series with our students and young adults in the book of Ephesians. I love to see how Paul writes to the letter to the church in Ephesus in his letter. He writes in, in verse 16 through 19, he says that I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power and in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of 
God. True freedom is to be established in his love, to grow in his love because that transcends every truth or idea of truth that we could ever create in our minds. It is a truth that is rooted in something greater than we could ever comprehend. This is the truth that is to be experienced in the person of Jesus. And to know the truth, which is Jesus, will lead you to true freedom. But this is the beautiful side of the truth that Christ came while we were still sinners and died for us. That is the beautiful side of this truth. That while, yes, the truth can hurt sometimes, and yes, the truth can be painful, to know that we are slaves to sin, to know that we are broken, there's a greater and brighter side to the truth, and that is that Christ still died for us in the midst of that brokenness, for that brokenness. And he invites us to experience that true freedom that is only found in him. That is the good news of the truth. That is the truth itself. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is then how do we respond to this truth? How do we respond to Jesus dying and sacrificing himself so that we would be free, free indeed, the type of freedom that's everlasting, the type of freedom that will bring us closer to him, that will lead us to his presence. Maybe this morning you've already said that, yeah, I've made my decision to follow Jesus a long time ago. Maybe, and and that's great, but maybe now is a time where you say, okay, but I wanna follow him. It's time to take that step of faith where you say, okay, I don't wanna be like those that just believe. I wanna be the ones that said, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna pick up my cross daily and follow him to wherever he leads, knowing that is he will be glorified and that it will be for my good. And maybe this morning you've never heard the truth proclaimed before. Maybe you thought that, you know, we were all his children and God loved everyone. But I'm here to tell you that while God does desire for everyone to come to know him and loves his creation, you're nothing more than a creation until you become a son, an adoptive son or daughter into the kingdom by repenting and believing in the good news of Jesus. You take that step and say, okay, Jesus, you're telling me that this is what needs to be shed on my life, that that your light needs to be shed on areas of my life that I need to submit to you. I'm willing to do that today. And you have an opportunity to do that. John 10 says, whoever confesses that he is Lord will be saved. So how will you respond? Today we're also taking communion, and it's a great opportunity for you to reflect on what Jesus has done, to examine yourself and know the sacrifice that is being made. And so I invite you to prepare your hearts as we sing. The altar will be open. We'll have people as well. If you need prayer, pray amongst each other. Pray with a pastor or whoever's here. We're here to pray with you. We're here to continue. We're here to seek God with you. We don't have it all together. And that's why we need to continue to run to the truth that is found in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this moment. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to reveal your truth to us, the truth that is embodied in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that there is a person in this room that doesn't know you, that they would come to know you, the sweetness of freedom that is found in you. I pray, Jesus, that those of us that do know you decide to continue to take that second step and abide in your word, that we would continue to seek you, pursue you, grow in you 
so that you may be glorified and that we would be rooted in your love that surpasses all knowledge and understanding that you would allow us to continue to just be used by you. We thank you, Lord, and we put this all in your hands. It's your name we pray, amen.